Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and it's a new month, so you know what that means. It's time for a new mailbag. There's certainly a lot to talk about lately, Gavin. What are we getting into in this first part? We are talking about potential Julius Randle trade destinations, the top stars in terms of both likelihood and desirability that we could see ending up on the Knicks this summer. And then we get into some fun stuff, some press conference comments from the other day, and some Jersey talk. All that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, up. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked on Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day. We appreciate you making us part of your daily routine, whether it's on your favorite podcast app or if you're checking us out on YouTube, uh, where we just had YouTube superstar CP the franchise on you know so pretty pretty cool stuff we love we love YouTube we love being able to do stuff on there uh, I'm Alex Wolf I'm editor in chief of Nick's site the Strickland which you can find at the Strick land and he's Gavin Shaw your favorite play by play broadcasters favorite play by play broadcaster and we are getting into mailbag questions today Gavin and I think we've got a good slate for this first episode so I'm not going to hold us up we can just get right into things uh, the first question today comes from Bugsy Sig at Bugsy Sig on Twitter and uh, Julius Randle trade. This is going to be a hot topic for us. Uh, I think going forward, rank the following theoretical Randle trade targets by one likelihood and two most desirable uh, DeAndre Ayton, Harrison Barnes, Jalen Brunson, Jeremy Grant, Donovan Mitchell, or Zion Williamson. So I actually want to work in reverse of the question, Gavin. What, it, maybe we should do most desirable and then the likelihood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you want to, I mean, it's kind of our lives as Knicks fans. Like, you want, you want to talk about the fun hypothetical, and then, then we'll crush you uh, with, with reality. With facts. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right after. Um, yeah, I would go um, in terms of desirability. Donovan Mitchell, I think, is a pretty clear-cut number one. I would certainly say Zion Williamson has the higher ceiling of the two players, but there's just a million different questions around Zion, both uh, I mean, mainly because of his injury history, obviously, but also just like his type of game and and just how disastrous he's going to be defensively um, for his career. And his uh, we, we had a poll episode with uh, Jake Madison of Locked Up Pelicans about him. And there was some interesting stuff brought up about like his his love for basketball and his desirability to be great, which usually I'll, I'll brush those things aside. But with Zion, there seemed to be some legitimate concerns there. So all that adds up to even, even taking into account that I think Zion like if everything goes right, he could be a top 25 player in NBA history. Uh, I'm going to go with Donovan Mitchell because the dude is just is safe, right? He like four years of all-star production, like two or three at this point of, of borderline all NBA production. He's somehow still just 25 years old, which when I looked, I, I don't know what I, I don't know if I expected 26 or 27, but he, he's 25 years old and he's been the guy on again. You can you can question Utah's playoff success 
all you want. You're, you're doing so rightfully, I would say. He's been the dude on some really good teams in a very competitive Western Conference for pretty much his whole career. So I think he's 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 the clear-cut, uh, surest thing on this list. Uh, Williamson ceiling just too high to ignore for the second spot. Um, though there's some debate, you could certainly say DeAndre Ayton, again, a much safer option, someone who uh, will likely give you a pretty good defense almost on his own and is a highly efficient offensive player. Maybe a guy who could score in the 20s on a different team that doesn't have quite the balance of the sun. So Aiden, clear-cut number three, Jalen Brunson excuse me, versus uh, Jeremy Grant. Uh, I think an interesting argument between those two because Grant has certainly – I, I would say his last season in Detroit was maybe a higher high than Brunson has ever achieved, but because of just just Brunson's overall efficiency and and because I I'm, I'm just in love with his game and I think it would be such a good fit with the way the younger Knicks, aka the non-Randall Knicks, like to play. I had Brunson slightly ahead of Grant, and then Harrison Barnes, very good, very solid, but but the clear cut like one like one guy who stands out like a sore thumb on this list for being the last person there. So that, that's mine. But Alex, before we get into likelihood, I'll throw it back to you. Are, are you, are you in, in lockstep with me on, on those rankings? Pretty much. Uh, there's only one change I would make. I definitely have Donovan Mitchell as my top guy as well. It's just like, you know, he's, he is, you know, Zion might be a, you know, great player. Donovan Mitchell is a great player and it consistently stays on the court which is the most important thing. You know, we have to, we have to take that into consideration. You know, there's no, it's, it's the elephant in the room, you know, like Zion, as you said, might realistically end up one of the better players of all time. If he figures things out as far as his health and all that good stuff. But, you know, if like, if Donovan Mitchell keeps going at the pace that he's going, he'll probably be, you know, on the next, you know, the NBA 100 list or whatever, you know, like he's, he's playing at that level. Uh, he's been that good of a player so far in his career. And, you know, if he starts seeing some postseason success, which the Knicks trade for him, hopefully it would happen as a Nick, then, you know, I, I think that the narrative shifts on him a lot and people start really looking at him as a as even a better player than he is. Zion's my number two. Um, you know, again, like you said, just the potential is crazy. We we caught a lot of heat for putting together some trade packages for for Zion the other day and including like multiple first round picks and one or two of the young players, plus Julius Randle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's just what it's going to cost. I mean, the guy was a number one pick in in 2019, and in his two seasons that he has played, has, I mean, he scored, I noted this on our last pod with CP, but scored damn near 30 points per game without really having a three-point shot yet. You know, if he ever figures out a three-point shot, like, forget about it. He's going to be, like, he has the potential to literally be like a 35 point per game score that just nobody can defend for anything, you know? So he's definitely uh, my number two. Uh, I think my, I, I would say Aiton is my, my third as well. Um, you know, he might not put up the statistical case of a couple of the guys even directly below him, but I just think his impact is high enough. You know, he's, he's not necessarily a box score guy. He's an impact guy. And I think his impact is higher than like Grant and Brunson. I would just put Grant slightly ahead of Brunson. And I mean, it's like you alluded, it's basically razor thin margins between those two anyway. Um, I just have Grant slightly ahead because I think in terms of a Randall trade, I just, I think that getting Grant back is better to have someone to immediately slot into uh, Randall's position in the lineup rather than, you know, Brunson who 
presumably, especially considering Tibbs is going to be the coach next year, would block quickly from potentially being able to start and would also maybe be a thorn in our collective sides uh, as far as, you know, being in the way of, of quickly and, and, you know, Deuce McBride and other young players on the team, even if he is a really talented player. So I have him slightly lower. And then, yeah, Harrison Barnes, it's nothing against him. He's, he's a, a high level role player. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's good. He can score 20 points per game potentially and, you know, all that good stuff. But yeah, he's definitely a cut below the rest of these guys on this list, mostly because I think mostly because age, to be honest, you know, he's, he's already peaked. I think, you know, he's, he's on the way down, not on the way up. Every single other guy on, the right, on this list uh, otherwise is sort of on the way up or at least like at their peak. If you want to say like Jeremy Grant, maybe has peaked already. Like he's, he's there still, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's where I'm at with, with Barnes versus the other candidates. But uh, I'll throw it back to you, Gavin. What do you think is the the most likely and least likely out of all these guys to potentially become Knicks? Yeah, so th- this was almost the harder harder rankings to do. It's, it's, it's I mean, especially with Donovan Mitchell. It's so like on, on Bill Simmons' podcast the other day, they did a, a very confusing segment, which was the most likely unexpected guys to get traded. Um, and they had, they had Donovan Mitchell uh, number one on that list, and I have. I have so much difficulty getting because the, the dude literally has four years left on his contract. And I know we're living in like this new paradigm with like where guys can get traded with four years left on this contract. But if you're Utah and there's just, there's not a world where you're getting a Donovan Mitchell in free agency and you've established this organizational competency where you're probably not going to be picking in the top five with great frequency anytime in the near future, you're really going to trade Donovan Mitchell. Like, I, I just, I, I don't see, I think they get rid of Gobert before they get rid of Mitchell. So I actually, because of that, I have Mitchell way down on this list, but I have, I have Jalen Brunson first um, because we've heard the rumors, I mean, for months and months and months, I mean, almost, almost past a year at this point um, about his connections with the Knicks and his potential interest in the Knicks. And, and again, the notion that is maybe being questioned now, given that Emmanuel quickly is playing so well, but the notion that the Knicks desperately need a quote-unquote true point guard. Um, so Jalen Brunson, clear-cut number one for me. Um, I had Jeremy Grant second. Uh, I just think Detroit is like is not at all committed to him because Kate Cunningham is very much the fulcrum of that franchise at this point. And Grant, with the three-point shot coming around, could be a nice piece next to him. But I believe only one year left on his deal. So I don't think that is an absolute lock that he stays in Detroit for any length of time. Harrison Barnes, um, I put third only because like I think he's a pretty good fit in Sacramento. And I don't I don't see why they'd be rushing to trade him. Like he's he's a pretty ideal guy to slot um, next to DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox is a really high level shooter. Really high-level defender, but he's just not as valuable as the other guys on this list. DeAndre Ayton I had at fourth, and that's purely a Robert Sarver is cheap thing, and I don't think they want to pay four guys close to max money um, because if not, I, I think it's insane that they would get rid of Ayton given his fit on that team and how well they're doing. Um, and then I had Donovan Mitchell fifth, Zion Williams sixth, Mitchell just because of all the rumors flying around, like the notion that like he could really demand out while well, with Zion like – Things seem to be trending in like a little bit more of a secure direction. New Orleans, I feel like that's something that could flip very, very quickly. But it's just again one of those situations where New Orleans, I think, very similar to Utah, like Don or Zion Williamson's are just are not walking through that door, and I think they're going to be very reticent to trade him for anything other than just just an insane, insane, insane package. So I think Alex, you could definitely debate Mitchell versus Williamson, but that's that's sort of my initial take at it. Yeah, I'm at a uh, pretty similar again. Uh, I think Brunson is the most likely mostly because of the family ties, you know, I, I think 
if it was in a vacuum and he wasn't, you know, like essentially Leon Rose's like nephew, yeah. um, you know, it would be different, but that's the reality of the situation. And I think that, you know, he's going to basically find a way to angle his way to New York. And now whether it's a Randall trade or not is a different story, I guess, but I could definitely see Dallas being interested. You know, they're, they're going to want a new running mate for Luca now. Uh, now that they got rid of Porzingis, like another guy that has like potential star upside. Um, and so if they look at Randall and say, okay, we can get him back, then they might say, yeah, all right, we'll do Brunson, you know, for Randall. We'll, we'll agree, you know, and, and work out this sign and trade um, to help you guys out because we need someone to, to be like an actual co-star for, for Luca again. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I, I think I'm with uh, Grant as the second most likely to, I don't think that it would be a direct Randall trade. I think that you would, it would be one of those deals where either the Knicks would make two separate trades or a three-teamer, like what we talked about the other day, and that's how you would wind up with uh, with Grant on the Knicks. Uh, I don't think that Randall would end up on the Pistons just because, I mean, if he's not happy on this young team, why would he be happy on that young team? You know, I, I just think like he needs to find a a more contending atmosphere or whatever. Um, then I actually I think Aiton over Barnes just because I think it's less likely that Sacramento would be even looking at a Randall um, just because of the fact that they just invested what they did in Sabonis and you know I think that they're just too similar players to then be like all right let's roll with both of them um, plus they kind of hate each other <laughs> so I feel like if they went to Sabonis and were like hey we're thinking about trading for Julius Randall he'd be like you better not. <laughs> Um, so I, I think actually I have eight and higher just because I don't believe in, like, I just think the writing's sort of on the wall there. I, I feel like it's not being talked about enough like that. The fact that they extended all the guys that they did this past off season and yet conspicuously didn't extend Aiton makes me think that he's basically going to be out there. Um, and so that, then I would say Barnes and then, um, yeah, I think I think I'm on Mitchell over Williamson is the more likely. I mean, I guess it just depends on how much if Zion decides to pull a power play, he could potentially jump to number one on this list. Yeah, uh, but it, as of right now, that's not on the table. But you know, if if Zion tomorrow says, you know, pulls the qualifying offer card, says I'll sign the qualifying offer and sign with the Knicks as an unrestricted free agent next year, then they have no choice, more or less, but to do it. You know, but to trade him to the Knicks, like if he's willing to actually call that bluff. Um, which like he has, I think more power than like a Porzingis did or something because Zion has so many endorsements that like, if he makes like only, you know, $15 million for a year, he's still in actuality making like $30 million or, or more because he's got Jordan brand paying him and Mountain Dew and, you know, a million other places that are, that are still giving him a bunch of money, even though he hasn't played this year. Um, so I, I think that, I guess maybe for that reason alone, I'll put him just slightly ahead of Mitchell. You yeah. know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you. I, I think it'd be really hard for Utah to trade Mitchell, they because they know that unless they hit it out of the park in the draft again, they're they're not going to get another guy like that. Uh, at least not by free agency. They'd have to make a trade of some sort to get someone like that again. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think you, you convinced me I would flip because at the end of the day, Mitchell's under contract for four more seasons. Zion Williamson is not. So you you convinced me I'd do the flip, but Alex. I think we're both in agreement. If the Knicks can get a couple of these guys or, or, or the right one, 
Their future is very bright. So bright, you're going to need some great sunglasses. And I want to tell you about Locked On's newest sponsor that'll get you those great sunglasses, Shady Rays. It's an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays' insane protection program. Shady Rays includes lost and broken protection on every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happened. So give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to Fight Hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, you can head to ShadyRays.com and use code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the season, 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. All right, Alex, let's keep it rolling on the mailbag. Um, we are moving on to, um, the press conference from yesterday. And there were some comments, uh, from RJ Barrett and Obi Toppin. The question comes from FBPE is just white people's hotep, uh, at Jax365 is the handle. And he says, are the comments from RJ and Obi today at the presser directed at Randall? So the comments I found, Alex, I don't know if you found different ones, but I assumed this is what he was referring to. RJ saying, I love playing for the Knicks. I love playing in the Garden. I love everything about being a Nick. I love them Knicks fans. And also noting that um, it's not really pressure to play for the Knicks. It's fun. Um, the comment from Obi Toppin on RJ Barrett, um, which I think this this maybe is the one he's more directly referring to, could be uh, hinting at something about Julius Randle. Um, knowing Obi, that is not the case. But he, Obi said, he leads by example. First one in. One of the last to leave, he continues doing that. He's going to change this organization. That is Obi Toppin on R.J. Barrett. Alex, your thoughts on that question? Um, I, I think more so than them taking direct shots at Randall through the media, I think it more is just sad that comments that are just about being a good leader and wanting to play in New York and stuff could be viewed as a subtweet of Julius Randle at this point, essentially. Like, I think that kind of just underscores how, how far he's fallen this season, basically, you know, both in terms of, it seems like how he's viewed by his teammates, certainly how he's viewed by fans, you know, all that stuff. I think, I think that's sort of just, it just sort of underscores that, that we would see a comment just about like, RJ is a good leader. RJ leads by example. And then just immediately think like, Oh, that's gotta be directed like at Randall because Randall doesn't do any of those things <laughs> and hasn't been doing any of those things this year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe it was meant more as like a, a subtweet or maybe, I mean, they were being asked direct questions that were sort of meant to elicit responses like that. Um, so I go back and forth. I mean, I, I do think there is something to be said. I mean, there's been some, you know, rumblings out there that like Randall and, and, you know, the, the younger guys aren't really on the same page or whatever. And that Randall, especially with the team isn't on the same page. We keep going back to that Chicago game, you know, a couple weeks ago now where Randall had a really terrible game um, and, you know, turned it into all about him, even though the young players like pulled it out for him and won the game. Um, and won it for the team. You know, Randall was angry that he had a bad game and, you know, tossed the ball and stormed off the court and went right back to the locker room and everything else. There's been the whole thing with, like, not coming out for pregame introductions and stuff, which in a vacuum 
I wouldn't worry too much about. But given what we've seen from him, it, it makes it just feel like another thing that's making him more distant from his teammates. So I don't know. I think it's a little column A, a little column B. I don't think it's necessarily direct shots, but I think that by acknowledging that like RJ Barrett has been a consummate leader on this team this year is sort of uh, puts in bold face that, you know, Julius Randle hasn't been a good leader this year. And that's, that's how we end up reading it that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. I don't, I don't think there's any subtweet element about it. I think they're just answering honestly, but reality reads like a subtweet right now, right? Like this is, this is sort of where we're at with this situation where any ounce of professionalism from the other guys on this team and Fortunately for the Knicks, I think this team is like full of pros, even, even though these guys are younger, even though they don't have a lot of experience. Like we, we hear it over and over again, like Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, like all just dudes who show up and put in the time, who put in the work, who really, really care. And that's fantastic for the Knicks if they have that basis. And of course, like when, when the players just acknowledge reality, they're like, yeah, RJ is great. And like RJ acknowledges his reality that he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it, it's so obvious he doesn't feel pressure. He's like, you never see like RJ, like telling the garden to, you know, shut the F up. Like that just, I just don't see that happening because it's not really like he wants that pressure and he's okay with it. And it's not even like, it's not a shot at Randall. Like, of course it's a pressure cooker. Like it's, it's not something that a normal, like humans did not evolve to have 50 or whatever, 25,000 people screaming at them and booing them like that that would drive most people nuts. Like there's a reason that like the great leaders in the NBA on top of being freaks in terms of their athletic ability and their commitment level, like they're almost freaks in like their ability to process a situation like that and be okay with it and say, yeah, I want that. I'm okay with 25,000 people telling me I suck as long as they cheer for me just as loudly when I'm doing great. And Julius has ridden those highs. And to me, that's been the, crummy part of this Randall situation all year is that Knicks fans are, are really smart. And like, if he had been like sliding on the floor for loose balls and setting hard screens and playing like focus locked in defense and sprinting back um, to, to stop a transition bucket and, and sprinting to get a layup on the other end, this entire season, I don't think he would have gotten booed or critiqued once. Like even if the shot went from great to terrible, like it's not, it's not about the results. I really do think it's mostly about the process. Like, of course, like there are some fans that are going to boo regardless. And there are some people who are going to get mad. Like when you have one bad game, I'm sure that's true for RJ as well, but it's just that the process hasn't been there for Julius all season. And to me, I don't know about you, but that that's been like the single most frustrating part of this whole endeavor. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know how much more we can even like, like there is to even talk about with yeah. Randall's, you know, situation this year. It's just, it's it's sad in many ways. I hope that whatever's been ailing him this year, like if he ends up getting traded, I hope that he works it out and can figure it out maybe in a less pressure cooker of an environment, you know, with with fans that are less vocal or just less fans in general. I mean, there, there is something to be said, too, for the fact that, you know, you could play in other uh, – although he played in Los Angeles, and that's basically a sellout situation all the time, too. But, um, yeah, but he, he wasn't the guy in Los Angeles. Yeah, and there was less pressure, you know, because he was still he was still on his rookie deal back then, you know. He essentially started his rookie season a year late, you know, so that the expectations were lower to start with him there and all that stuff. And then, like, his breakout season comes in New Orleans, which, you know, New Orleans is a fine city, but admittedly it's not New York as far as the media atmosphere and the, you know, the, the pressure from the fans and stuff like that. So I hope he's able to figure it out uh, at a certain point. But... I guess we'll see. I think it's definitely trending towards Julius not being on the team anymore. 
after this season. And, uh, and I mean, as you said, luckily we're in a situation now where the Knicks have a guy in RJ Barrett who, you know, regardless of if he's a A1 star or not, uh, is definitely seems to be like an A1 leader and has A1 respect of his teammates going forward, which is really important uh, as, as far as building a, a team and building the, the ever important culture and all that good stuff. Uh, so I, I think that it's, it's going in a good direction, but yeah, it, to circle it back to the press conference comments, I think it's more just, it's unfortunate that, you know, we can just see comments about RJ being a good leader as being a, a comment directed at Julius Randall, just because of how, how poor he's done on that end this year. But Gavin, uh, I wanted to let everybody know before we get back and, and talk about, one last time, uh, uh, well, not the last time, but one more time uh, about Julius Randle trades, as well as whether the Knicks should bring back a uh, different jersey that they've had in the past. And I, I might have a strong opinion about this. I do have to let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And you guys know the drill. Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar on the market. I'm actually visiting a friend right now. And uh, so I was not able to bring Built Bars with me on the trip. Uh, but then, or more, I should say, I forgot to bring built bars with me on the trip. We went to go play basketball yesterday for a little bit and I had to have a different protein bar and it underscored for me just how much I miss built bars in my life because they're my favorite. They look like a candy bar. They taste like a candy bar. They don't hit you with that gross chalky grossness of other candy bar or, or of other protein bars. I should say they're not full of fillers and and crap that you don't want to have. And I mean, in the case of my one of my favorites, the Puffs, they're not. There's no other protein bar that literally is like a chocolate covered marshmallow, and that's what Built Puffs are. They come in awesome flavors like cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're all so good. If you've tried the regular Built Bars before and haven't tried Puffs yet, I would definitely encourage you to to order up some Puffs and see what the hype's about because they are really phenomenal. And all Built Bars are low calorie and high protein. Uh, Bill Bars usually have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. So you're going to get the protein you need to recover from a workout without all the sugar and the, and the calories and the fat and everything else that comes with some of these other bars or especially candy bars. Uh, so if you want to get some Bill Bars for yourself today, go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Gavin. So we're back for our last segment of this first episode of the mailbag, and I'm going to bring it back to uh, bring it back to sort of what we were talking about in the first segment, and also what we talked about in our episode of CP the other day. Uh, which, if anybody is listening to this that hasn't watched or listened to that yet, definitely go check that out. We had a really great two part episode about Julius Randle with CP, where we first just kind of broke down the situation, whether it's salvageable or not, and then talked about some trade destinations. Um, but Gavin, I don't have too much to add because I, I feel like I kind of, at least for the moment, sort of uh, uh, blew all my options the other day uh, with that episode of CP. But Steve Thomas on Twitter at DarkSteve590 wants to know realistic destinations for realistic trade destinations for Julius Randle. So you said you had a couple more that you thought of since the other day. So I'll, I'll throw it to you to uh, introduce that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a couple of Eastern Conference ones, two of which I think. I think you brought up, but I'll, I'll just make the case a little bit further. Uh, I think the Washington Wizards uh, were one of the first teams I, I think of because I, I just they, they just seem desperate to make any kind of talent play. Obviously, 
They acquired Chris Tapps Porzingis. They have Bradley Beal. It just it feels like they're caught sort of in that perpetual treadmill of mediocrity we always talk about the Knicks trying to avoid. And their pitch might be, hey, this is a dude who made second team all NBA a year ago. Um, let's let's risk it. And as um, a lot of people have pointed out, I think um, I think I was listening, I think it was the Knicks Film School podcast and Jeremy Cohen was, was talking about this. And I totally agreed with him um, that free agency is just not very appealing this year. Right. There just aren't a lot of guys that are going to change your trajectory as a franchise. And in turn, even coming off just about as bad of a season as he could have had, given his talent level. Julius Randle is going to have some value. He's going to have some appeal to teams like the Wizards that are desperate to figure this thing out. To, to I mean, we'll, we'll get to this in our next podcast, to to throw a bone to Bradley Beal and say, hey, there's a reason you should sign this extension here. Um, and that would and that would be just acquiring more talent. So um, I had Randle for Kyle Kuzma. Maybe the Wizards also have to throw in a pick. Maybe they have to throw in like Danny of Deer or something. But I think the Wizards get a guy with a higher ceiling. And I think the Knicks sort of get what they want too in someone who is young, but also a little bit more reliable than Randle is. Like high-level three-point shooter, led the Wizards in scoring and rebounding this season. Uh, really good. So I, I can't say I've tracked it this season, but in LA, I was always pretty impressed with his defense. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of Kyle Kuzma, and I think he would be a pretty clean fit for the Knicks in that power forward spot as someone who who gives you the things that Randall didn't and maybe doesn't have like those 30, 16, and 10 games to carry you to a victory against a really good team, but just on a night-to-night basis is, is really reliable. Yeah, I, I don't mind that idea. I think you know, I, I think it's kind of interesting that Kuzma had sort of a rep as being, I don't know, like a, a problem child or not invested enough or whatever in L.A. You know, like I, there was just a certain stigma about him. And that has sort of evaporated this year. And, you know, I don't know if that was just sort of thrust upon him because of like, I mean, he's he's well known for his like his sort of crazy sense of style and, and you know, stuff like that. And I think maybe those things can sort of get projected into being like a problem child sometimes but maybe he actually isn't you know and like he has had a really good season for the Wizards this year um I would be down you know if that's what you can get for Julius Randle you know and like you said if you can manage to squeeze like Denny Aftia or like a you know a handful of second round picks or something out of them as well and make that deal happen I'd, I'd be interested you know I, I think that would be not a bad deal and you know you probably have to I think make a get a little more salary in there too to make it work um so, you know, if that means like Contavious Caldwell Pope or something like that, then I'd definitely be even more on board because, you know, more shooting, more defense. That's cool by me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I'd be down. Um, it's a little different than the deal that we that we worked out the other day. Um, and I actually think I probably like it better, including oh, who's cool. been there. So I'll take it. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, next one I'll speed through because we, we basically talked about on the show, but I think the Pistons are a good one. And I think – uh, something or something built around Randall for Grant makes a whole lot of sense, but we've covered that to death. So the final team I had uh, was the Orlando Magic, and I think they're a, a very similar situation to the Pistons and the Wizards, where it's just the furthest thing from. I mean, the Wizards maybe upgraded a little over these two other teams, but furthest thing from a free agent destination, and they've been basically average to now pretty bad for the last ten years, like post the prime Dwight Howard era. And I think there, I would assume there's some internal pressure at this point for them to accelerate their timeline just just a little bit. Obviously, like they don't want to trade all this youth they just got and like recreate the the Vucevic Evan Fournier teams that went out in the first round every year. But I actually think Randall, especially like given how incredibly well uh, Wendell Carter 
has played at the center position um, before he got hurt. Um, I think Randall's actually like a really good fit for them as a, as a stretch four and someone who could be a fulcrum, but has almost like better pieces than New York does to play around him with like a lot of shooting with someone like Franz Wagner with Cole Anthony, who's pretty dynamic at the point guard spot um, with some of their depth pieces, like whoever they're going to take in the top three, four, five of this year's draft, like could certainly bring them some talent. And all of a sudden you could see an Orlando team that is pretty competitive next season, but doing so in a more sustainable way than they were in the past. And, and the name I'll throw at you, Alex, is uh, Jonathan Isaac for the New York Knicks to go get back. Um, someone who is, I just think, a destroyer of worlds on the defensive end of the floor. Like, I think he, when, when he was last healthy, he legitimately had a case um, for the best non-defensive center in the NBA. Just so flexible at the wing position. Obviously, like, the jumper is is pretty broken. And that's a concern when when R.J. Barrett is, is the fulcrum of your team and you're presumably going to bring back Mitchell Robinson to play center. We, we talked about this a little bit in the past. Like, I, I kind of love the idea of building, like, a supersized, like, wing trio around RJ and playing small ball. Like, a lineup next year of Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish, Jonathan Isaac playing small ball five. Like, maybe you're giving up some stuff there defensively. But to me, that's, to some extent, the future of the NBA. That's kind of similar to what we saw the Clippers do in the playoffs where they relied on just Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard just being freaks and, and, and playing small with those guys. I think the Knicks could replicate something similar. Maybe that isn't your full-time lineup. Maybe that's sort of a curveball. You throw teams' directions. But I think that would be pretty intriguing, and it would have just enough shooting that you could you could make it work. Maybe Obi Toppin plays some minutes there. But I don't know. Just uh, just an interesting name that I think just because he hasn't played basketball in the last year like doesn't get thrown around a whole lot. But I, I wouldn't mind the Knicks taking a bet on that kind of talent. And Orlando presumably would have to throw in like some kind of pick or something to make that work. Yeah, I- I don't even think you need to throw in a pick at this point, if I'm being honest. I mean, he's clearly very damaged goods at this point. Um, you know, when you go that long without playing, it's, it, you know, you start. Oh, no, I was saying Orlando would need to fit the Knicks a pick. Oh, the, oh okay. Well, then, yeah, then, yeah, they would definitely, you know, they would need to entertain throwing the Knicks a pick in that deal yeah. because, like, it's been so long with Isaac. He essentially becomes like a lottery ticket. From a pure basketball perspective, like, if he's healthy, I do like it. Um, I, I, you know, the defensive versatility, if you do bring back someone like Mitch, you know, that it's sort of similar to like what I like about Jeremy Grant, you know, in the sense that on the defensive end, I think Grant offers a little bit of rim protection, but also the ability to defend on the perimeter. Um, you know, so if you can have a guy like that as your, you know, your four man in, in front of Mitchell Robinson, you know, like really manning the paint there, I think that's pretty solid. Um, I have some questions about Isaac. Uh <laughs> And, and, you know, personally, uh, you know, oh, yeah. well, um, <laughs> so there's there's a little bit of that to this. Um, but from the perspective of just the basketball fit, I don't hate it at all. You know, I, I think if he if he comes back and he's um, as good as he was starting to look before he got hurt, then the Knicks could potentially, you know, find a, a good deal here where if they can net a pit back, pick back too, then that has potential to look like real steal. Uh, because of the fit and, you know, the fact that you're getting a pick back and everything else, it, it could potentially be a really good deal. Uh, but Gavin, I'll, I'll close this out. We got a, one last question for this episode. Mikey Cooks on Twitter, at Mikey underscore Cooks, uh, had a question for us. I have a question for the pod. Do you think it's time to bring back the orange jerseys, but this time it says Knicks instead of New York? Uh, I don't know if I'm quite ready to bring back the orange jerseys yet, if I'm being honest. Uh, they were pretty cursed. The year that they did come out, they were uh, in the 13 to 14 season. 
if I recall correctly. Um, and the Knicks did nothing but lose in them early in the season to the point where they literally, I mean, they busted them out, I think, for the first like month and change of the season. They, they would bring them out like every third or fourth game or so and then literally retired them within a month and change of the start of the season because they were losing so much in them and just stuck with the the blue and white after that. Um, I like the concept of an orange jersey. I would not want one that looks exactly the same. Like, I wouldn't want them to do what, what was done previously, which was basically just the Knicks regular jersey, but orange instead of blue or white, and then it had blue type with white outline around it. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like that's – like if you're going to do something out there with making an orange jersey, which stands out so much, then don't just slap the classic look on it. Like it's going to have to be something different. Um, I don't know what that would be. I mean, I mean, maybe – I think if you could do something like – without making it a full ripoff, but like the Suns have like that uh, – the Valley jersey, which yeah. everybody's – yeah, that's like everybody's favorite jersey, you know? Like if you could do something like that, but instead of having it look like a like a desert sky and make it more look like the New York skyline kind of thing, um, you know, but like still kind of that like digital look or whatever and have it sort of be a gradient, but where it's mostly orange on the jersey, like maybe have a start as orange and then gradient its way up to like blue and white or whatever. Um, that could be pretty cool to me if they, if they could pull that off. So I'm not fully against an orange jersey. I, I will say I think I am against a orange jersey just like what they had in the past. Or even if they did that and, like Mikey said, made it say Knicks instead of New York. I mean, I don't know. I've also been one of those – like most teams have, you know, at home you wear your team name. On the road you wear your city name. I've always kind of liked that the Knicks have New York on the jersey at all times. Um, and it's just like a little thing. You know, it's it's like – it's cool to me. I don't know. So I, I'd be fine with just sticking with that, uh, with just having it say New York or, you know, if you want to have it say like, um, I mean, honestly, that would be the way to somehow make it say the city never sleeps, city that never sleeps or whatever. Like, yeah. Instead of that circle Jersey that they had before that I still don't like. So no, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd be into it. It just has to be, it has to be different and it has to feel right. Cause just slapping the regular design on an orange Jersey doesn't work for me. Yeah, all I have to say is my first ever Knicks jersey was a bright orange Latrell Sprewell, so I, I, I have some fondness for them. I would, I'd take it as 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 a mix in every once in a while. It wouldn't I, just from a color perspective, it doesn't really appeal to me. So if, like kind of infrequently, but yeah, I like I like some variety. And uh, yeah, I think that's all we have for this part one of this mailbag. But uh, tune in uh, tomorrow. We will have a recap of Knicks Nets for you guys, and then the day after. Should be part two of this mailbag, so tune in for that as we wrap up the season here on Locked on Knicks. For better or worse, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. We will talk to you soon. Peace out.